Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of RestaurantOwner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. And welcome to another episode of Corner Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli with RestaurantOwner.com. I'm Barry Schuster, editor of Restaurant Startup and Growth, the magazine of RestaurantOwner.com. And today we're doing a revisit, uh, first revisit since we've uh, started our podcast. But uh, we are blessed to have Johnny Caraba take some time and visit with us. He's going to give us a little update on his various businesses and other projects. Johnny, welcome back to the Corner Booth. Oh, thank you, Chris and Barry. It's great to be back with y'all, man. I, I enjoyed the first one and looking forward to this one. I enjoyed it too. I uh, quote you liberally from our interview. You know, as you know, when we did the first one, just like we do a lot of our podcasts, we, you know, we kind of cover the history of our guests and their background. And, and yours is as good a story and interesting with your family and the way you started out. And I'm just going to direct our readers to that particular podcast because it really goes into some nice depth, including your long relationship with Chris. We talked last time we spoke, it was pre-pandemic. The world seems it was changing. I thought about you a lot. When we last talked, you were getting into more casual concepts. We were talking about Carabas. Where are you now, Johnny? What's going on? And tell us your opinion on how things are now. You, you've been in this industry for a long time and been successful. I'm really interested in, in your view of the world right now. Well, it's, it's interesting, and I, I think it's changing you know, I, so I, I still own the two original Carabas. I have a concept called Graces, which is on Kirby Drive. And it, it's a, you know, Southern Comfort type feel with a, you know, really so far successful Saturday and Sunday brunch. But I have these six Mias, which are fast casual. And, and they're really, they're booming. And I think that that goes to show you just a little bit of the different environment. You know, I think Economically, I think a lot of people are being hit right now. You know, you can go into a fast casual restaurant like Mia's and spend $19 and get a, a per person average, right? And get a full fledged meal. You know, naturally the tipping is optional. And, and I think that that's what I see that's really growing, very popular. Yeah, yeah, Carabas on Kirby and the Carabas on Boss, my two originals. Yeah, they're doing fine, you know? But the growth of those two restaurants has kind of simmered down a little bit. And I think that's just the environment. I think people are into more convenience than anything else. And cut me off, but I get kind of excited talking about it. But, but really what's grown is our car side carry out. Well, <laughs> I mean, when I'm, when I'm telling you, I have some me is that 30% of our total revenue is coming from car side. The two original Carabas are in the, the lower mid 20s, 22, 23, 24%. You know, we all know the restaurant industry as, you know, for years and to go food was just a very much of a sidebar type part of our business. Well, it's not anymore. You know, people are really looking for the simplicity and convenience of eating. 
And I think you hit the nail on the head with that when you mentioned that the changing customer pattern is they are demanding more convenience. Years ago, I think you, you'll agree with me, uh, to tell me if you think I'm wrong, but convenience was really a little bit more limited to running to a drive through sort of medium to low quality, something quick. I'll get pizza delivered or I'll get, I don't know, uh, my favorite Chinese Drive-thru, restaurant. Yeah. Now, however, as you mentioned, people are going to fine quality, upper casual, like a Carabas, and they're doing car side pickup. I mean, years ago, we would have never thought that. Well, I mean, y- y'all, y'all know this, I mean, but I don't like to throw numbers around. I mean, but the two original Carabas are, are very, you know, two very, you know, I think highly high volume restaurants. Yes. But when you take, a, let's say, 22 to 24 percent of our of our total revenue is coming from car side, that's a business. If I took that away, well, then we're, we're probably not growing. It means, you know, we're kind of having diminishing returns or diminishing sales revenue. Yeah. And and cut me off, but because I get hyper, you know, I get excited talking to y'all. But I never forget there was a guy, one of my dear friends and old partners, his name Chris Sullivan. He's the founder of, of Outback Steakhouse, one of the founders. And in about 1997, I got in business with him in 1993 to grow the Carabas chain, you know, brand uh, across the country. And he said, Johnny goes, are you doing any to go business? And I said, yeah, if a customer wants it. This is 1996, 97. I said, yeah, if a customer wants it, you know, yes is the answer. What's the question? We'll do it. He said, I think you need to start paying attention to it. He goes, I want you to head it up for me. He goes, if you look at grocery stores, they have a bunch of prepared foods in there. He goes, people aren't going out to eat as much because most couples that have children or whatever, they're both working and they're not going to have time you know, they have, they, they're busy with soccer or PTA meetings, or they're both, you know, working, you know, busy. They're not going to want to cook that much. He goes, they're looking for convenience. Well, flash forward, COVID saved, my car side carry out saved me in COVID, right? It saved me. Yes. Yeah. I, I and, can believe- on, and then on top of it, like I said earlier, is when you look at, you know, 20 something percent of your total revenue is coming from car side carry out. That's a very substantial number. So Chris Sullivan, very bright person, one of the brightest I've ever met. He had the foresight to look into that and, and, and I nurtured it. Well, on the other side of the ledger, dine in seems to have come back strong. In fact, maybe you could take a couple minutes and explain to us some of the work that I know you're doing at your original uh, location um, has something to do with either updating, expanding, building onto private dining. Um, what is it that you're seeing happening with the guest experience inside that led you to do that? Well, I just think that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of dead dinosaurs out there, right? I think I, I put a lot of emphasis in staying relevant, staying up to date, looking at trends. And so, Chris, if, if I get off, you know, get me back, you know, you're really good. You've been knowing me for a long time. Get me back on pot track. But there's a lot of restaurants that have not become generational. I want to become a generational business. Gotcha. So we're approaching, you know, uh, this December will be 37 years old. Well, most restaurants don't make it 37 years. But what are the what are the keys of us still thriving after 37 years? Well, 
there's a lot of things that come to mind, but one thing is, is that I have a very loyal following, but I also have very loyal employees. Through Carabas, I have 250 employees of half of them have been with me 15 years or longer. But staying relevant is keeping your people on board and keeping them fresh. But the other thing is, is like, I just changed all my playlist because I want the younger crowd coming in. When I look back at the old restaurants that kind of became dinosaurs, they didn't change their ambiance. Uh, they didn't remodel their restaurants. They didn't change the music. They didn't have the young people coming in. So they, they died off. And so I think that you always have to be changing. Like the crop is on Kirby, right? I've been going through a remodel for three months. Did I need to do it? No, I didn't need to do it. But I had two rooms that were semi-private. I could make them private if I wanted to, or they were open up to the main dining room. They didn't look like, it looked like I ran out of money when I, re, when I rebuilt that restaurant. So I'm putting money back into it to make those two rooms feel substantial and interesting. I think that's what we have to do. I think we have to stay fresh. We have to, you know, keep our basis to our menu, but we do have to tweak our menu to, to upgrade it. I've said this before, but I'm working really hard with my staff to really make sure we're catering to the 20-somethings. Yeah. And, and I don't know if that's making any, any sense at all, but, you know, I, and, and, and I'm getting older. We're all, you know, all three of us are getting older. Well, old people fade out, and I'm trying to cater to that, that next generation. Well, and sure. I'm try, trying to be a generational business. Like in the 37 years, let's say, I know of, I know of nine families where I'm feeding four generations. And that, that's, that's really what I work really hard at. There's a couple of really good principles that you've just highlighted that I really want our <laughs> listeners to take note of. And that is that you do have to take a look at, at your customer. And the closer you stay to the customer, the smarter you are. Too many people making decisions based on their own wants and desires yeah. as owners. And too many times we're not the customer. You mentioned a couple of times that 25-year-old to 40-year-old market, that's your sweet spot. I get it. But when you open, those 25 to 40-year-olds are 65 and 70 now. So you've done a very good job of making sure that you stay current with their tastes. And, that, and I love the second point, and that was that the taste isn't just determined by the food. It's determined no. by the background music and the ambiance and the, and the approach you take to service and the staff. You do a really good job of that. So, listeners, I just wanted to take a pause there and underline the importance of that. Well, it makes perfect sense to me. I'm, I'm a dad of a couple of Gen Zs, and I'm very interested in what they like and don't like. And it's a, it's a very different set of tastes and interests. But, you know, one of the things that, Johnny, that you, um, when, I, when we interviewed you last uh, on the corner booth, you know, I was talking about your experience with having, you know, uh, large national multi-unit um, operations. And, you know, you really dived into the discussion of, you know, how you really capture your market and do a good job. And so I said, well, Johnny, I, I guess really when it gets down to it, uh, you, you win and lose this game at the unit level. And you said, no, Barry, you win and lose this game with every meal served. That commitment mm -hmm. to quality, how does that, that translate differently now in terms of that with carry out where you don't have 100% control of 
everything other than, you know, once you've passed it off to the customer, what is that? Or do you just sort of fall back on, on your, your passion for making sure everything just goes the right way? Well, I, I mean, I, th- I think you always have to make sure you follow through where whatever experience it is, dying in or dying out, you know, car side carry out. You know, I, I think I think you have to be in tune to what's going on and you have to. But, but the, the key and, and, and very, you know, redirect your question. But but my deal is, is that you have to have open ears. You know, there's so many people out there that are in the restaurant, any business, but the restaurant business is the only thing I kind of know is. They think they they do what they want to do. You know, the, the owner does what they want to do. They get kind of like a little bit stubborn. I'm not going to bore you with what I went through today, but I've learned my best lessons from complaints, mm-hmm. what customers didn't like, and I corrected it because there's some validity to every complaint. The other thing, listening to your customer, your guest, Listening to your guest on their opinion, because they, they always guide you in the right direction. There's always a little truth to whatever they say. There's, I think there's a lot of truth to what they say. So I don't know if I'm really answering your question uh, properly, but keep me in line. No, I, I, I think you are. You know, you're keeping your ear to the ground, what people say and, and, and responding to it. Um, you're not the first person who I've spoken to this week who's very successful uh, Van Ure, who you, you may know um, here in North Carolina, said the same oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Said the same exact thing. And, mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know, that's when two, when you and, and Van Ure say the same thing, I almost just say this is, this is uh, mm-hmm. an axiom of running a good restaurant. Well, it's like this right here. Okay. So I have this restaurant called Grace's. Okay. So it's known, it's known for a Saturday, Sunday brunch, it's, but, but it's known for its Southern comfort food. Mm-hmm. Well, I named it after my grandmother, Grace Mandola, my, my, my mother's mother. She was the one that was responsible for really all of the basic flavors of our food. She was the best cook I've ever met. So I opened up this Grace's and I, I, I completely missed the concept. I wanted it to be like a Ivy on Robertson Street in L.A. And I wanted it to be a little bit like. Danny Myers restaurant called uh, Union Square Cafe yeah. in, in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, kind of an eclectic menu, this and that. Well, it wasn't working. And and I can tell you all this. It's no big deal. But I was losing about $80,000 a month in that restaurant. I felt bad because I misled my team on the concept. But failing, you know, the president of my company, you win. He said, John, and I was, I was beat up. My, I feel like I let my team down more than they, the money bothered me, but it didn't bother me as much as maybe my pride and maybe me letting my team down because they put so much work into it. And he said, well, let's get something straight. I call him Yui. His name is Yuen. He goes, been with me 27 years. He said, failing's not an option. We need to retool this thing. So I went to three of my very good friends and good customers. And I said, what's wrong? And they said, there's no rhyme or reason. We don't know the theme of this restaurant. We can't describe it. Yeah, the food might be good. Yeah, the atmosphere might be good, but it doesn't feel right. So I listened to my guest, number one. But I got to tell you something. I want to carry this forward. One day I'm in, so I wanted to play mostly music since it was named after my grandmother. I wanted uh, all the, the the music in this restaurant 
I wanted it to be all female artist. One day, a customer comes to me and says, Johnny, I don't want to hear, you know, Tammy Wynette or Dolly Parton or Barbara Streisand when I come to this restaurant. There's something about the music that doesn't fit. They said, this is comfort food restaurant. This is kind of soul food kind of, of, of vibe. You need to upgrade your music. Well, I go home. My daughter, Mia, who I named the concept Mia's after, she's in town from SMU in Dallas one weekend. And I said, Mia, I got to work on my playlist. Help me out. I had Pandora. And Mia goes, no, people don't do Pandora. Our age doesn't do Pandora. They do Spotify, whatever. I don't care. I don't know the difference between Pandora or Spotify. So she set me up an account. I stayed home for four straight days. And all I did was rework all of my playlist and each playlist fits the concept. I get more compliments on my playlist now than I do on my food and service. Everything makes a difference. And like, like Carabas Italian restaurant was well, a lot of Frank Sinatra, a lot of Dean Martin, a lot of Louis Prima, but now I put in some, I still have some of that, but I put in a little bit more music has a little popular vibe mm. and that's to cater to the consumer. And so I think it's all those kind of things that, that make the difference. You know, I, like I said, I get more confidence on music than I do, you know, the, the bill chop. And I bet people still talk about getting an Italian lesson every time they use the restroom. And you know what, that Chris, you know, you, you, you've been knowing, uh, knowing me for a long time. I stole that concept from a restaurant in San Francisco called Tutta Bene. <laughs> to the Benny, I walked in the restroom. I thought somebody was in there watching me. You were talking, and, and and they had the Italian lesson. So I just stole that. But I people still comment on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So again, it's a commitment to little things. And I want to talk about how that becomes best marketing, if because marketing seems to be a word that I know you don't use too much, because I think you <laughs> might be thinking that. You don't advertise, you don't plan radio, you're not really active on social. And, um, but yet, what you seem to be really, really good at, and what I'd love to have you talk a little bit about, is how you look at the four walls of your operation as being your marketing arm. Because the guest experience, in my opinion, typically defines what the brand is, and that's the best marketing. How do you keep that day-to-day -day tempo, and how do you keep that guest experience at such a high level uh, day in, day out for 37 years? Well, you know, first of all, you know, every day in my restaurants, every morning starts off with a huddle up. Uh, that's the staff comes in and we talk to them about, you know, specials, what, uh, you know, the huddle ups is just a way of getting the day started, but they can be motivational, they can be inspirational, they can be informational. We start off every day with that meeting just to get started off on the right foot. I just believe in staying relevant. You know what I mean? Uh, and I gave a speech uh, last week, I think, at Patrick Henry uh, Company here in town. They do a wonderful job. But they had a, like a convention in here. And it was all the beverage companies, you know, wine, spirits, also, you know, mixers or whatever. And then they had all the chain type restaurants in town. You know, Darden was here, Blooming Brands, uh, Brinker was here. All of them were here. And they wanted me to be the keynote speaker. And part of the part of it was I talked a little bit about history because there's a story within the story. 
but I talked about marketing. And I understand that social media is the way now. Uh, you know, in the past, it was TV and radio commercials. But I talked, I talked in depth about marketing. I'm still a firm believer that the best marketing is done within your four walls. If you impress people, they're going to come back. If you do not impress them, they're not coming back. So we put a lot of emphasis on performing day to day in those four walls. The other key to my marketing, though, is I'm a a fan. I pride myself in being a family owned neighborhood restaurant. When you run a family owned neighborhood business, you ingrain yourself into the fabric of that community. So the other part of marketing is not only doing a good job where your word of mouth is successful, but are you there for your community? I'm going to do a lot better. I mean, I know, I know for a fact I'm one of the most charitable restaurants in Houston, Texas. Why? When one of my good guests asks me to sponsor something or wants me to donate to something or they're having a, 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 some kind of book fair at their kid's school, the more I'm involved in that sort of thing, the more they are going to feel like they are part of our family. They know that I'm giving to them, and in return, I'm getting it back. Nowadays, we put so much emphasis, and I understand that you have to evolve. I know the social media and all that. I've already said that. I know that all that stuff is important, right? That's just another layer. But old-fashioned values with marketing never, ever goes out of style. Never. And that's something, Barry, that's just... But Chris, it's a... It's a people business. Barry, I know you. Chris, I know you. You call me. Yes is the answer. What's the question? We have created a bond through the years. And that's not, I don't necessarily need social media to be successful, even though I'm, I'm learning about it. And I'm an old school guy, you know, but I can't be stubborn. I can't be set in my ways where something I'm just bringing social media because it's been I've, I've been in three meetings about social media today, so it's really hot on my, my brain right now. Yes, it's important. It's not important as mono, mono, me and you. Right. And you have a big team, Johnny. A lot of people, you have managers, um, you have a longevity with your staff. Um, but if I'm hearing you correctly, you're you, the guy in, who owns this concept, is doing a lot of talking to customers at ground level. Um, talk to other owners about that. It, it sounds like if somebody wants to talk to Johnny Krabba and stop me if I'm, if I'm, you know, I'm way off. If somebody, a customer wants to call to talk to Johnny Krabba about an experience I had at your restaurant, I've got the feeling that you'll take the call. Well, it's funny you said that, Barry. A, 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 a young hostess came up to me the other day and she goes, do you mind if I tell you something? And I'm a very approachable person. You know what I mean? Uh, some people come to my mind that aren't very approachable, but I'll just keep it with me today. I'm very approachable. The young lady comes to me in the middle of the, of, of a dinner run, right? And I'm working the dining room. And she goes, do you mind if I give you a thought or tell you, you know, what, what's kind of on my mind? I said, shoot at me. She goes, you have a problem saying no, don't you? I said, yep, it's been a problem. 
shows you need to learn how to protect yourself and say no to certain people. But I'm a very approachable person. I'm approachable to a fault. My sister, her name is Mary Louise. Mary, we call her Wheezy. I call her sister, but everybody else calls her Wheezy. She sent me something this week about the power of saying no. I'm not real good at saying no, but I'm very approachable. There's nothing, in my opinion, in the restaurant, there's nothing finer than saying, especially in an Italian restaurant, I'm very partial. I know the owner of that place. If the owner comes up and says hello to them and makes them feel important, that makes their dining experience. And my mother, you know, my dad's still a part of our company. He's, he has 24-hour caregiving, but his caregiver still brings him into Carabas every day. My mother's 85. She still works every day. There's nothing better than an owner-operated business, especially when you're in an especially in the restaurant business. It's a very personable business. And I don't know, I don't really know what else to say, but like myself, I don't go to a restaurant where I necessarily need the owner to come say hello to me. But if the owner comes up and says, hey, Johnny, how are you doing? How's your family? Well, whoever I'm with, it makes me feel very, very important. And no matter what, we all want to feel important. We always want to feel, you know, accepted. But I think there's something to be said about, and it don't have to be an owner. It could be, you know, the representative of an owner, the, the general manager, the managing partner. But people want to be paid attention to. You know, they all saying it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. I don't know if that makes any sense with what we're talking about, but mm-hmm. makes a ton of be tough. makes a ton of sense. You know, to paraphrase my Angelo, you know, people will never forget how you made him feel. Uh, that well, made Johnny Caraba coming to my table and saying, Hey, and, and asking me, Hey, how you doing? That may be so, the thing I'm talking about when I go home after that food's been digested. Barry, I still do new employee orientations. I invite my employees that have been with me a long time to come get rejuvenated. I quote Maya Angelo, Angelou every time. People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but they never forget how you made them feel. And the last time I checked, we're in the hospitality business. There, it, 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 there's a direct relationship of them walking into my house. How do you treat your guests when they walk into the house? You hug them. You offer them something to drink. You offer them something. And then when it's time, you entertain them. And when it's time for them to leave, you hug them and thank them for coming to your party at, the, at your house. There's, no, there's, there's absolutely no difference. And I'm going to say it, and I'm very adamant, and I'm very passionate about what I believe in. As you can tell, we're in the hospitality business. And I learned from the very best. My two grandmothers and my mother gave me an MBA in hospitality. Mm-hmm. I just treat my business the same way that they treated their household. You didn't come into my you didn't come into my grandmother's house without being offered something to drink and they'd force feed you. And so that's just that's just what I, that's who I learned from. I hear you. That's exactly what it is. It's, it's too many times today. So I want to get your opinion on this. We are hearing a problems, you know, facing the industry and how that might challenge hospitality, how it might change things, use of technology. Should there be more artificial intelligence, maybe less staff, more ordering at a kiosk, uh, service charges because of the additional expenses uh, involved in doing the business. Maybe I could get your comment on those. You're obviously being 
challenged by some of the same things. You live in the same industry. You've had product supply side issues post COVID. Um, you've seen tight labor market and increasing demand for uh, higher wages. And um, uh, but how do you take a look at absorbing the additional costs of doing business? What do you say to those that maybe think we should change tipping or surcharges? I mean, is there room for that in our future? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay really old fashioned for as long as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand all that. I've lived it. I've been through it. You know, technology is a wonderful thing, but we're still pack animals. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we love, you know, I mean, human beings, man, we, we love interaction. Again, I don't want to become a dinosaur. I want to say relevant. I want to use technology. But I think we're heading in a bad place if, if we start buying into kiosk type restaurants. Mm-hmm. I think, I think I, why, why do you go out to eat? I mean, most people want the human touch, the human interaction. And I'm going to fight it for as long as I can. Something happened the other day where, what did I do? I, I'm drawing a blank, but I went to a restaurant and there was a charge. But there, there, yeah. there was a, an automatic charge to my bill. I didn't care one way or the other, but I was appalled. <laughs> How does that make any sense? I didn't yeah. care, but I was appalled. And I'm trying to think it was, I uh, can't remember what it was. I, that's come back to me. No, I mean, it, I, and that's been coming, that's come up quite a bit, huh, Chris? You know, um, oh, yeah. there's been a lot of conversation out there of these uh, surcharges that are being tacked on and, and kind of gives me a um, kind of a segue to another thing I want to ask you about. And I, I'm with you on the old school hospitality. I mean, restaurants are the last bastion of civility in this country. Unfortunately, not unfortunately, they're there and, and they provide that social um, outlet. Early on in this conversation, you were talking about keeping um, your price per cover down uh, so that people could afford to eat out. And, you know, $20 a person is it's kind of impressive. I, I go to some very casual places with my family, my kids occasionally, my wife. And, you know, I, I look at, you know, what we pay for maybe a hamburger, a couple hamburgers and beer. And I go, that's a lot of money. Um, Now, at this point, it's not a big deal. I can deal with that. I'm thinking of myself maybe 20 years ago. I couldn't do that too often. And you've managed to keep your prices down, you know, what can you share with us about how you how you've been able to do that and still deliver the kind of quality that I, I know that's important to you? Well, I mean, number one, we're always going to pick the product that we want, not what's the cheapest product. You know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get to your question. But, you know, my deal is, is that, you know, so many companies are so return on investment driven. You know, they they manage that profit and loss statement so hard. They start making ignorant decisions, in my opinion. I want to say stupid decisions. But I'm going to stay professional today, but ignorant decisions because, you know, they'll they'll cheapen their product. They'll cut down on their portions. You can't fool the consumer. Right. You know, and you you also with pricing. Yeah, everything has gone up. Yes, we we have to pass it along, but you can't give people sticker shock, you know, and and Barry, you know, Chris, I'm with you all. You know, yeah, I can go out to eat and I can afford it. And I learned this from a guy named Bob Basham, the the co-founder of. um, Outback Steakhouse. So when out, we got in business with Outback, you know, we had the two Carabas in the middle part of Houston, affluent areas. But as we grew Carabas, we were going into like smaller, smaller communities. 
and he wanted to lower the prices. And I said, why do you want to lower the prices? I said, no, I've never had a complaint. Now, now y'all know Carabas on Kirby, Carabas involves, people can afford it. But I said, I've never had a complaint on pricing. He said, they maybe never complained to you because they can afford it, but maybe they never complained. But when they got into the car, they would look at their check and they would tell their wife or their husband and say, man, do you know we just spent $150 with two of us at Carabas? And that gets, that gets in people's heads. So I learned, I didn't agree with him at the time because I was used to running my two original Carabas. I wasn't, I wasn't used to running a chain restaurant in you know, different kind of locations. But I think that with me and, and yeah, everything's gone up. I mean, I'm talking about everything has gone up. Yes, I do have to raise my prices from time to time, but I can't pass everything to the consumer because if I get too expensive, yeah, I can say, oh, yeah, the food's good. Yeah, the service is good. But people still make decisions for financial reasons. Maybe we can't go to Carabas tonight at, you know, $45 per person, but we yeah. can go to Mia's, you know? So again, I know I never answer your questions the right way, but that's the best <laughs> way I can answer it. I think you're doing just fine Works for me. I love it. Yeah. And I think well, I mean, the listeners are really tuning into that because you just hit on a couple of major notes and that is for people to concentrate on the fact that value is determined by the worth of the experience, not just price alone. So people would keep coming back if they didn't feel like, hey, this was worth my time. The overall experience was worth what I paid, not just the price. And so I think that's a page out of your book. It's a page worth re-mentioning. And I would like uh, the listeners to make note of that, that before they run home and say, yeah, I, I really do need to cut this out or give less cheese or do this because I can't <laughs> put the price. You remember that. Oh, I remember the spoon story. Oh, that's I think that's one of yeah. my favorites. But, but uh, yeah, they have to rem yeah, remember that value is placed on, you know, the overall worth of the experience. And so we need to challenge ourselves, you know, to, to make sure that we're giving everybody their, you know, their dollars worth. Um, and Chris, you do. It's just it's simple. It don't make a difference if it's $50 a person, $20 a person or $100 a person. Did they get value? Did they get impressive food? But more importantly, they're always going to go where they feel loved. Being, making people feel special, being you know, recognized, loved, that's where they're always going to gravitate. Yeah. You're always going to go where you feel like you're at home. You're always going to go to Cheers, if you remember the sitcom, mm -hmm. because of the experience more so than even the food or the service, you know, or I say the food or the, the drink, they, they can go get, I say it all the time. They can go get spaghetti and meatballs anywhere. They can go get, you know, a lemon drop martini anywhere or espresso martini, which is popular. Now they can go there and they can go anywhere to get that. Yeah. Some people might be looking at the price, but most people are going to be looking at where do they feel like they're having a great time. It's a hundred percent. Right. Yeah, that's 100% right. Um, I think that's another one of your, um, you know, favorite quotes that I'm just going to go ahead and mention. Uh, when you were talking earlier, uh, you reminded me that 
when you're looking at an ROI and you're looking at that return on investment, we're only looking at half the story, I believe you say, if we're looking at just numbers we can save. We have to look at ROI as ROC, the return of the customer. The more those customers come back, the more they bring people with them, the more they spend, <laughs> you know, then obviously the, the more we have. And so I'm, I'm just finishing that yeah. thought. And so, Johnny, you were talking about the uh, low turnover of your staff. You have you have people on your team that are 15 years. Clearly, you've been able to communicate this this attitude, this philosophy, this culture. And, you know, we talk to so many people where we ask them, what's your biggest challenge right now? Well, we know that we know what's going on with the labor market, staffing, turnover, all of that stuff. Any best practices you can share with us in terms of make, making sure you've got the, uh, the right people and enough of those right people to do what you do? Yeah, I mean, we, 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 you know, we suffered along with everybody, you know, and, and, and I think, I don't know, well, no, we hadn't spoke since then, but, you know, I try to get up, me as open up in Cyprus uh, here in, you know, I 290 and here in Houston, and it's set completely ready, but it's set empty for four and a half months because we couldn't hire anybody. Yeah, then we, you know, got kind of desperate. We put a $300 signing bonus or whatever. Then we got finally opened up after four and a half months. We were only open up dinner only, right? Uh, we were only open up dinner only, and uh, for a while that that lasted for about four months. But I, I have to put it to you this way: overall, we don't have the problems that a lot of restaurants have, and the reason being is it's just like holding on to your customers. If you're loyal to your customers, they're going to be loyal back. If you're loyal to your your employees, they're going to be loyal back. I said, I said something earlier about word of mouth is my best form of advertising. If we impress them, they're going to, they're, they're going to come back. Now, what does that have to do with labor? If I treat my, my people like family, my, my employees like family, they are my best advertising because they're going to go out to their family and friends and say, hey, you need to come work. You got to come work with me at Carabas or Grace's or Mia's. And I don't think we have the hiring problems that maybe most restaurants have. First of all, we don't have a lot of turnover. And a little bit of turnover we have, I mean, it's like I have like uh, probably, oh, I can't even count them right now. I want to say six, seven, but it's probably more like 10 or more of families that work for me. The, the mother might work for me and then their children might work for me. Their dad might work for me and their brothers work for me. And so that word of mouth of this is a good place to work really hasn't let us suffer like a lot of restaurants, even though we've had issues, don't get me wrong, but our issues haven't been as severe as the, the general uh, public, you know, general restaurants. So positive word of mouth works for attracting staff too. Good point. Exactly. And how you treat but, them. And then, and then low turnover. I mean, you know, if, if you're a restaurant that has high turnover, like most of them have, hey, you're going to have a problem. Well, you know, Johnny, we'll be we're going to have to wrap up here in a few minutes. But before we go, I'd love to have you talk a little bit about a new project that I know you've been working on for a while. Tell us where you stand on the completion of your book, your second book, the thought behind it and that kind of thing. Well, you know, six, seven years ago, we did a, a book called With Gratitude. And I had a really great team. I'm not a, you know, I mean, Y'all been knowing me for a long time. I'm not the kind of person that's going to want to write a book or think I'm worthy of writing a book or whatever. But I had a really great team that put this book together. But 
the way that the first book started was is that I said, we're going to be 30 years old. I need to come up with a nice gift to show my gratitude to all my employees and to all my, 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 my clients, right? Customers, friends, whoever. And the book was more than I ever expected I could, you know, we could ever do. Well, six, seven years later, I said, you know what? I'd like to do another book. And in November, we have another book. I don't have a title to it just yet. Uh, that's the last thing we have, but it's all in the makings. It'll be ready in November. But I think that, I don't know if this book's going to be better. You know, it's more of a coffee table book like the, the first one. I think there's going to be a better message in, in this book here. Like I said, from my ghostwriter to my photographer, to the back of our book, to our graphic designers, to my team that works with me, uh, you know, and Chris, we have a friend named Omar who's, who was a food stylist for the photography. But, you know, I, and I can name all the people on my book, you know, uh, that are doing it. I think it's going to be a better book. And why? Is because it's about what makes our company tick. And it's about my immigrant family that gave me that gave me an MBA in hospitality and food. It's about my cherished clients and how much they have taught me by telling me the truth about, you know, they, what same they didn't like or what they love. They, 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 my guests have always guided me in the right direction. So I give homage to them in this book. And then the main thing that kind of really moves me, it's, it's, going, it's, it's really a book of thanks to my employees. It, it really gets into the, the team, my team. And I, I hope it comes out like I think it is, but I think it's going to be more of a heartfelt book than even the first one. There's a story. There's a story in this book. Even though the first book had a good story, you talked about the history. Yeah. This talks more. This talks more in depth of the backbone to our company. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Well, so are we. So are we. Uh, I, I look forward to that. I mean, a story that talks about cherishing your guests, learning from your staff. I love the MBA that you got from your family. Um, and so anyway, I thank you for sharing uh, those notes and um, and all yeah. the other items that we got to discuss today. I've been blessed, man. I've, I've had a great family. I've, you know, my, my family paved the way for me, you know, from Tony Mandola, who just passed away this last week, to my Uncle Vincent, Uncle Damien. My parents ran a neighborhood grocery store. Uh, Tony Mandola's mother-in-law was Nympha. You know, I, I was born on third base. And I, and I thought, I, I think I hit a triple. <laughs> There's those, you know, people that are born on third base and think they are, you know, they think they hit a triple. I, I was really born on third base. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, that's family. wonderful. Thank you for all you're doing. And thank you again for taking time and getting us caught up on all of the goodies and your opinions of the industry. We appreciate all that you're doing. Thank you, Johnny. Yeah. Barry, Chris, you've always been really good to me, man. Thank you. And thanks to everybody joining in See you later. again on another Corner Booth. Take care. Thank you for joining us on the Corner Booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business.